Yeah. The key thing is, don't be inhaling, don't be ingesting. Stay inside, don't drink or eat anything. These are important questions. I understand that. Highest moment the last eight years. Hmm. Highest moment the last eight years. Well, I think that the most important, the most compelling was, uh, was 9-11 itself. Welcome to the special live edition of Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett, broadcasting every Friday evening here on Revolution.Radio, the premier free speech network, and get these shows archived before anyone else by going to Substack, and that is rather going to TruthJihad.com and clicking on the subscribe at Substack link. Okay, we have a great show coming up tonight. We're talking about what's really behind the wall of propaganda. In the second hour, Steve Kirsch, who is a self-described retired high-tech serial entrepreneur with uh, engineering and computer science degrees from MIT, will come on to talk about what's really up with vaccines and masks, for that matter. He's looked very carefully at the data, and he's convinced that the vaccines are very far from being safe and effective, and that... The randomized controlled trials show that masks don't work. In fact, the Bangladesh one that claims that it showed that masks do work against respiratory infections, such as in this case COVID, uh, actually seemed to show the opposite, or at least showed no discernible effect. So that should be a fun interview. Steve Kirsch is a very uh, lively and prolific guy who's uh, really taken on the COVID propaganda. And in the first hour, James Perloff. He's a best-selling author, a New World Order expert, and he takes down the wall of propaganda around Ukraine in his article, Ukraine, Behind the Wall of Propaganda. It's a very good introduction to the issues that nobody is allowed to think about because the mainstream won't tell you about them. All right. Well, it should be a great show. Let's get going. Uh, I think James is on the line. Welcome, James Perloff. Uh, thank you, uh, Kevin. Uh, very nice to be on the air with you again. Yeah, it's good to have you back. I thought you did another great job on this article on Ukraine. You really covered a number of the key issues, the historical background, uh, the miscasting of Putin. I mean, it's isn't it odd how such a reasonable-sounding guy as Putin is being made out to be a, a maniac, a, a lunatic, a threat to planet Earth? Uh, I, I would have never guessed that they could ever do this. Like 10 years ago, um, I, I wrote a piece uh, advocating uh, writing in Putin for president of the USA, uh, only half tongue in cheek. <laughs> <laughs> and I think about half the population pretty much agreed with me when I said, right. well, at unlike our leaders, at least he's competent. Uh, but now it, he's the, the second coming of Hitler or worse. Uh, so maybe you talk a little bit about, uh, about your article and, and the, <laughs> the many layers of this propaganda. Well, it's interesting, uh, Kevin, you know, I think you and I first probably encountered each other through the 9-11 truth movement. I was working on a major, major book on 9-11 when COVID interrupted it. So uh, I warped speeded a book on COVID called COVID-19, The Agendas to Come, that came out in August of 2020. And now I'm finding that the COVID narrative is being interrupted by Ukraine. I don't know what they might interrupt us with next, but I felt that I needed to say something about Ukraine. And I'm not an expert on Ukraine, as most of us in the West are not, but I waited until enough details from reliable sources had come in 
uh, to post this article, which I should remark, by the way, uh, I know um, the um, dynamics of how people get their information has changed. And so the article is very visually intensive. It's loaded with graphics and really short videos. I mean, these are MP4s that are mostly one and two minutes long. So I know people don't want to get burdened with a two-hour video. You know, I, I don't like that myself. So, uh, it's, uh, you know, I've got a lot of people on there from Putin to Tulsi Gabbard, uh, one and two minute clips that really sh- uh, make the case uh, of what we're talking about. But, you know, what I wanted to focus on tonight in the hour, practically an hour we've got would be, um, number one, I want to set the context, which is the first thing you do in the article of the hypocrisy of the United States sanctioning Russia for an intervention on their own border, which has lasted less than two months, when we spent decades bombing the heck out of the Middle East on false pretext. That's number one. Number two, what are Putin's real motives? What does he actually say, which the West is ignoring? Number three, are the Ukrainians really good guys defending their own land, the heroic patriots that, are, that they're made out to be? If we had time, I'd go into some of the fake news. I don't have time for that. But the last thing I wanted to make sure we got in was what the deep state's motives might be, because it's interesting, Kevin, you see how the, everybody from the World Economic Forum, you know, uh, Trudeau, Jacinda Aldern, um, uh, Macron, Merkel, Gavin Newsom, Bill Gates, they all had the exact same response to COVID and, and recommending lockdowns and vaccines. And then we see they're all saying the same thing uh, about Ukraine and Candace Owens had a very poignant uh, little tweet where she said, you know, whenever you see Hillary Clinton and George Soros saying we have to do something about Ukraine, you know that we're not being told the truth, at least not all of the truth. So um, that's kind of where I'm coming from, and that's kind of where I'd like to uh, head tonight. But I'd like to start out with what NATO and the U.S. have done before we start talking about the so-called atrocities of Russia. Yeah, in a way, that's kind of the elephant in the room. You know, this is presented as pure defense on the part of Ukraine, backed by NATO, a supposedly defensive alliance. But look what NATO has been doing for the past couple of decades. Yeah, uh, what I do in the articles, I, I actually start out with uh, that famous, it's a two-minute clip, but it's Wesley Clark, uh, the three-star general, when he, talking about when he went into the Pentagon right after 9-11, and he was told that um, we were going to take out seven Middle East countries in five years starting with Iraq, and Clark said, you know, well, is there anything connecting Iraq to 9-11? They said, no, but we have this tough military and we can do it. And um, so I look at, of course, we, we went to war in Iraq, exactly was predicted, and as you know, that was based on a false allegation of weapons of mass destruction, and we took hundreds of thousands of lives. We spent trillions of our own dollars that could have been better spent here in America, and I, for me, and I mentioned this in the article um, on James Pilaf. Now it goes back to uh, the 1991 Gulf War. We're lied to about incubator babies and how the Iraqi soldiers were throwing the incubator babies into onto the cold floor and they were dying. And that turned out to be a complete fabrication, which even Wikipedia admits now that's it, it's a was a fabrication. But it's happened so many times. And of course, I have the clip of. Um, uh, the late Madeleine Albright telling 60 Minutes that the death of half a million Iraqi children was worth it from our sanctions. And then um, look at Afghanistan. You know, we went to Afghanistan supposedly to get bin Laden. And when I was researching my book on 9-11, I, I read a book called Juggernaut by Gary Bernstein, who was the commander in Afghanistan, the American commander uh, of forces uh, trying to get bin Laden. And he said, 
All he needed was 800 more Rangers. He had them newly surrounded. And when he asked for the extra Rangers, he was um, refused and was transferred to South America. It's like America didn't want to get bin Laden. And interestingly enough, as you know, the whole story about how we got bin Laden in 2011 was full of holes. I mean, they dumped, fully dumped his body in the ocean in the very next day. But 10 years later, after, after we supposedly killed bin Laden, uh, we're still in Afghanistan. We're there for 20 years. You know, Putin's been in, in Ukraine for two months and we're already calling him a war criminal. And uh, we could go and we talk about Libya, how we destroyed Libya in 2011 with NATO bombing. We could talk about Yemen. We could talk about the, 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 the uh, cruise missiles we launched on Syria in 2017 and 2018. We have, we have uh, on false accusations of a chemical weapons attack by Assad on his own people. We could just go on forever on this, you know. Um, and, and, and it, it, it probably see in the news, Israel has been bombing Syria relentlessly. We never see a headline about that. All we hear about is Russian atrocities. So that's, that's my first point is the total hypocrisy of the West to condemn Russia when we've gone halfway around the world on false pretext on the, uh, on the claim of national security. And you could take that even farther, James. You could say, that given that NATO is such a bunch of extreme war criminals, arguably among, if not the worst war criminals in all of human history, you know, given the comfort and the security that the NATO countries have, they had absolutely no reason to run around the world murdering up to 30 million people by the count of last week's scientist mm. uh, guest, Gijin Palya. There was no oh. reason to do that. So given that, uh, one could easily argue that NATO is by far the worst group of war criminals in all of human history, which would mean that any country like Ukraine or perhaps in the future uh, Sweden and Finland that wants to join NATO is a bunch of prospective war criminals, too. I mean, that right. I, I actually would very seriously put forth that argument, and I don't really think it's very easily uh, to refute. Uh, no, uh, I mean, the, the track record is there, and uh, the only thing missing, of course, is uh, – the coverage by the mainstream media in, in, in the West, which, of course, we know at this point is monolithically controlled and owned. You know, 100 years ago, that wasn't really the case. You know, 100 years ago, it was possible to find an independent newspaper. Even the Chicago Tribune was independent for a while. But eventually, the power of money bought up all these media outlets. Uh, there's no such thing really now as an independent TV station or an independent uh, main, you know, ma- major city newspaper these days are all controlled by, you know, the big five corporations used to be six, but, you know, CBS merged with Viacom and lowered it to five. So we've got a monolithic media that never disagrees. You know, when, 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 when Trump bombed Syria with cruise missiles in 2018, you know, there wasn't a single newspaper in all of America that disagreed with it or even challenged it. Now, in the old media, we said, wait a minute, the Constitution says Congress, only Congress has the uh, authority to make war. Uh, is this constitutional? And we looked at the fact that um, you can't disarm chemical weapons by bombing them. You, know, you bomb Damascus, if there's chemical weapons there, you'll just spread them in the atmosphere and kill tons of thousands of people. But this was ignored by the media. They didn't ask the logical questions. They just followed the uh, their orders. And, and, you know, for people who have not seen it, they should look at some of those videos of mainstream news anchors from different networks who are reading off the teleprompters and they're using the exact same words. No, they're, just, they're just like parrots. You know, there's no journal, journalism and mainstream media is basically dead, Kevin, and it only exists in the alt media where you and I are operating at this moment.
That's right. Yeah, it's it's pure propaganda. And and the hysteria, the extreme, absurd emotionalism and complete lack of factual basis to so many of the assertions that we see in the mainstream now is shocking even to me. And I've been uh, disgusted by the performance of the American mainstream media ever since I was 15 years old. I think it was in 1974 when I saw Mark Lane give a talk about the JFK assassination, uh, mm-hmm. showing that there was a, a serious problem there. But even so, I never could have imagined that the war propaganda would become this insane. Uh, in the, I guess 9-11 would be a comparable case. And the COVID propaganda right. is pretty bad, too. Uh, and like you say, so now that they've called off the, the COVID scandemic and replaced it with the Russia bogeyman, it does make you sort of wonder what they might have coming next. And I hope I hope I, I, I hope it doesn't happen anytime soon. But who knows? Right. Uh, yeah, you never know about that. Well, uh, it's interesting. Vladimir Putin, I've got about eight one to two minute clips of Putin. Um, I actually start out with an older one where he condemns the West for its um, uh, lack of moral values. You know, they, they, you know they, Putin condemns transgenderism, that you can't have a gay parade in Russia. They don't they, they pay off their debt to the IMF. They've, uh, no no they, pussy they, rioters allowed to tear up cathedrals. Yeah, yeah, they, uh, they, uh, they ban GMOs, they, the, the now, I understand they've now banned fluoride from the water. They're doing a lot of good things. Now, you could, there are things about Putin that we can perhaps complain about, but he, he doesn't seem to be, uh, somebody like a Justin Trudeau who's, you know, uniformly answers to, uh, to Klaus Schwab. No, I know the, that the only complaint, the only honest complaint is to complain that he doesn't fight the New World Order hard enough, which is what Paul Craig Roberts is always <laughs> complaining about. Right. Um, absolutely true. Well, Putin, uh, made it very clear what his reasons were. And, um, one of the things that was, um, I think you'd be pointing out just on a basis of, uh, rationality, the first step that the West should have taken if they thought that Russia was misbehaving should have been a diplomatic approach. We should have had meetings with Putin. We should have talked to him. Uh, but instead we went straight to sanctions and weapons for Ukraine. Uh, and the media wasn't reporting what Putin said. But, but Putin actually made a speech addressed both to the people of Russia and Ukraine, and he laid out, laid out the reasons, uh, and there are several of them. Number one, uh, uh, NATO had consistently broken his promise that it made when the Soviet Union broke up in 1991 that it would not move further east. But if we look at it, um, uh, NATO has absorbed Poland, Bulgaria, Albania, uh, Slovakia, Slovenia, Croatia, Romania, the three Baltic states, they kept breaking the promise. And now uh, there were uh, Zelensky was planning to bring Putin. I'm, I'm sorry, to bring uh, Ukraine into NATO. It was already a NATO partner, but he wanted full uh, NATO membership. And he also requested that he receive nuclear weapons. Now, Putin said um, in his speeches, and, and this is on my, my, my blog post, he said, how would Americans feel if I put nuclear weapons right on uh, America's border in Canada or in Mexico. And the thing that immediately comes to mind, of course, is the 1962 Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, John F. Kennedy would not tolerate Soviet missiles in the Western Hemisphere. And if that's the case, why do we have a double standard with, with Putin? Does he not have the right to say, I don't want nuclear missiles on my immediate border from a, a hostile force? The second one, of course, is the biolabs. And initially, and I've got I've got a screenshot to prove this. Um, 
the mainstream media was saying that the biolabs, which were developing dangerous pathogens using gain-of-function research, very similar to what happened in Wuhan, um, uh, this was called a conspiracy theory. And then Victoria Newland, who's, you know, she probably regrets this now. She's not exactly one of my favorite people. But Victoria Newland, the deputy secretary of state, admitted before Congress that we have many biolabs in Ukraine. And uh, she was saying this in order to set up a situation where Russia could be blamed for using these uh, dangerous pathogens uh, against us, right? But um, it confirmed that they existed, and you can understand why uh, with the, the capacity of drones to deliver um, uh, pathogens, which I, I kind of suspect is happening right now, uh, Russia wouldn't want that on their borders. And the third thing is that... Uh, uh, the Russian language had been banned in Ukraine. And uh, there's a couple of documentaries that came out a long time before this Ukrainian crisis. One of them was uh, Oliver Stone's movie, Ukraine on Fire, where he he discussed the um, uh, CIA-backed coup that uh, overthrew the legitimately elected uh, president of Ukraine, uh, Viktor Yanukovych, um, in the interviews Yanukovych and many other leaders in, in that video. And uh, there's another excellent uh, video. It has not, last time I looked at it, it had not been banned on YouTube. I don't think they've caught up with it yet. It's called Ukrainian Agony. It's by a German filmmaker. It's about an hour and a half long. And he talks about all the atrocities committed against Ukrainian civilians, especially in the Donbass and the, the eastern regions where they speak Russian. Thousands of civilians killed by the Ukrainian government. And uh, they had formally appealed to Putin to assist them. And uh, for years he held off. But actually, I just learned this today. This, I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep updating this post. There was a, um, a post that just came out. It's by a Swiss intelligence officer. Um, and uh, his name is Jacques Bard. And he worked for NATO in Ukraine. And he said that Zelensky had issued a decree that uh, the Ukrainian forces should retake Crimea, which cooks with Crimea, they had a referendum there and over 95% of the people of, of Crimea voted to rejoin uh, Russia, which they'd originally been part of, not Ukraine. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of facts in Putin's favor, not a lot of facts on the Ukraine side. We can start to talk about the Ukrainian government, but those are Putin's reasons. Number one, the threat of nuclear weapons. Number two, the biolabs. And number three, the abuse of uh, Russian-speaking uh, citizens uh, in, in Ukraine who had appealed to the Russians for help. And these were all legitimate uh, concerns. And I do have a, a number of experts who I uh, have uh, very short video clips of. One is of um, um, a... Uh, uh, James, James, speaking of the video clips, um, I'm finding that at your post at jamesperloff.net, uh, many of the videos seem to have been censored by Google Drive. Uh, and where the video is supposed to be, what we get is a Google Drive error message saying that, sorry, the file you have requested oh. does not exist. Now, many of your videos are still up, but many of them have been apparently oh. censored. Well, you know, something I looked three days ago, that wasn't the case. So, um, you know, that did happen with one of my um, COVID posts. I have, uh, besides my book that came out in 2020, I have three major updates on my website, but I did find that Google Drive um, videos were censored off of uh, Google, 
and I didn't realize that had happened. Uh, I have to say this is the first warning I've heard of it. So after I get off the air with you, I will go there. You know, um, I can re-upload those to Google. Um, I have them, and I have high-tech friends who I work with. If worse comes to worse, I can put them on BitChute and um, link to them from there. I, uh, I would so recommend to- that. Yeah. yeah, Google would- Drive is actually now censoring uh, quite harshly. Um, I, I, wow. we, we, we are having to dodge Google Drive when we transfer files even uh, on False Flag Weekly News. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, I saw that happen before. It, it, you know, the last time I checked, it, it, all the videos were still up, but I, I didn't realize that it happened. So thank you for telling me about that. Um, you know, this just shows you the degree. You know, originally, uh, this censorship was part of Event 201, where they said big tech must censor misinformation about COVID. But now it's extended to anything, anything that disagrees with the mainstream news narrative. I mean, you know, truth has always been based upon giving people freedom of speech. If you go into a courtroom and a person is accused of murder, he gets a defense attorney and there's a prosecutor, and the jury gets to hear both sides. But what's happening with COVID, what's happening with Ukraine, is we hear one side of the story. And it's it's almost as if you're in a courtroom and the defense has been silenced and only the prosecutor gets to speak, or, or vice versa, right? That is not how you arrive at the truth. In science, that's not how you arrive at the truth. You know, um, uh, scientists have to try many different approaches before they arrive at the truth. You know, look, look at Thomas Edison. It, he said it took him more than a thousand tries to get the light bulb uh, right before he finally made a success of it. You know, you have to have different approaches. You have to have different opinions. You have, you know, you have to come from, uh, at it from the truth from, uh, different angles in order to establish it. This idea that there should be one narrative is straight out of Orwell and, and Big Brother. Wow. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and, and if we think about the deeper reasons for this tidal wave of censorship that's crashed down on us over the past you know, five years, maybe seven years, uh, it seems to me that many people in the alternative media don't realize that we're being prepared for World War III. You know, during wartime, uh, censorship is the norm, and you know they they cra- crash uh, crush free speech completely during wartime, and even just jail people who don't want the country to be in the war. This is common in, in almost all countries at war. And it does seem to me that the uh, neocon-led NATO uh, Anglo-Zionist empire people have essentially decided that we're moving into a war situation and they're starting to boil the frog. You know, they began boiling the frog maybe in sort of 2015, 2016, uh, as Trump came in and they had all these excuses, Trump and COVID and what have you. But now that they've boiled the frog enough, people are willing to put up with this. And so you dissent about the war, you're a peacenik, and you're not allowed to speak in the digital public forum. And it's it's outrageous, but it's what's worse than that is what it means is that they're taking us into that Orwellian situation where there's no longer any freedom and where a horrific war is going to just keep getting worse and worse. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that, Kevin, because uh, on my website, I've got an article, or I must have written it a good five years ago. It's um, called False Flag at Sea. It's about the Lusitania. But at the end, I talk about the um, Espionage Act passed by Congress. And anybody who criticized our involvement in World War One, even the selling of bonds, which, by the way, 
J.P. Morgan and company was making countless millions off of war bonds would uh, be sent to jail. And there was even a, a filmmaker who uh, made a movie about the Revolutionary War that portrayed the British as the bad guys, right? They were considered the bad guys by us. But that was now considered uh, to be anti-war propaganda, and the filmmaker was sent to prison for several years. And <laughs> That's the, hilarious. Uh, for yeah, for that, making that, an anti-British yeah. 1776 movie. Yeah, yeah, and, and this happened to a number of people. Anybody who criticized the war would have their mailing rights taken away. You may have heard the story of Charles Lindbergh Sr., the, the congressman who was the father of the famous aviator. He wrote a book called Why Your Country is at War, and the, the plates were, were seized, and he was not allowed to publish it. Eventually, many years later, it was published so the public could see what he had said. But um, uh, this this thing about uh, this, this suppressing dissent during wartime really goes way back. And um, the, the truthful voices um, who are trying to keep us out of the war, which are, as you know, many people say, all wars are bankers' wars. I, I, we call them Satan wars, if, uh, probably even more accurate. But um, this has been going on for a long, long time in the na- uh, in the false name of patriotism. Right. I think I think it was 1916, wasn't it, when Eugene Debs had to run for president from a prison cell uh, because he was opposed to the involvement in the war. Or- was that uh, 1920? I don't know. I, I recall that uh, Kurt Vonnegut uh, talking about that. So, yeah, it's it's going to be uh, crazier and crazier the way things are going. Uh, and so they don't want us to see the other side of the story. And that's why they don't want you to see these videos that you've posted in your, your article at jamesperloff.net. The article is called Ukraine Behind the Wall of Propaganda. And I highly recommend it. Maybe half the videos or more, I think, are still up. Uh, and so, all, and all, of course, all of the text is still up. It's, it's a great article. Uh, well, I will go back and try to get all of those, uh, reposted, um, either by getting them back onto Google Drive, or if that doesn't work, getting them, like I said, onto BitChute. But, you know, um, another guy who was running for president was, uh, I'll probably mispronounce his name. I think he corrected me on him before, was Robert LaFollette. Um, yeah, Robert LaFollette, right? he was our Le- Wisconsin yeah, hero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, he actually gave a speech before Congress exposing the fact that the Lusitania had been loaded with munitions, which is why the Germans sunk her. And there was an attempt by Congress to actually expel him from the Congress. Um, and, uh, he was saved because the second, former Secretary of State William Jennings Bryan came out and said, yes, we had absolute proof that the Lusitania was full of munitions and that that prevented him from being impeached from Congress. But, uh, man, this, this, this goes way back. Um, you oppose the establishment. Uh, this is not something new uh, to be suppressed. But today, I have to say the censorship is more severe than ever because of the monolith, totally monolithic control of the media, which wasn't really the case. It was bad enough 100 years ago, but not as bad as today. Yeah, well, there were uh, small town newspapers and even some big uh, newspapers that were at, at various levels of dissenting from the standard pro-war narrative in these world mm-hmm. wars. And I think the Chicago Tribune was initially at least less than gung-ho about the uh, entry into World War II. There was a whole Correct. substantial segment of public opinion and many of our leading intellectuals and uh, policy people and so on were part of that anti-war party. Of course, they didn't get their way. Um, and they were suppressed. So I guess we have to expect that if we're going to stay in a country that is on the wrong side of a war, 
that's perpetrating evil and we continue to speak our minds that we're going to face some opposition. Uh, that's absolutely correct. And, uh, uh, this also brings us, uh, to Ukraine and how it's been covered. You know, I have a section on Ukraine and what I actually start out with there is, um, you know, um, Zelensky, you know, he has no, had no political experience before 2019. And, uh, I've got a video clip. I don't know if this is the one that's been censored. No, it probably is, but it's a clip of him uh, dancing around in the nude in high heels with other naked men. It's basically a porno homo film. Um, and this guy is now a multimillionaire. I understand he just bought a, uh, property in Florida worth over 30 million on top of many other properties. He's a, he's a billionaire, yeah. actually. Yeah. Billionaire. Yeah. And how do you get, it, it's, Ukraine is supposed to be the poorest country in Europe. How do you get that? Well, I don't care whether you're an actor or a president. You, you don't get that kind of money unless you've got very powerful people who are, um, paying you off. Yeah. But, even uh, the greatest comedians never became billionaires. I mean, George Carlin right. didn't die a billionaire. <laughs> Good point. Um, no, uh, he was not. Uh, he was not in the club, as he would say. Um, so, um, but if you go to Ukraine, uh, like I say, uh, Viktor Yanukovych, the original uh, legitimate elected president. And this is again in the Olaf Stone um, uh, documentary, Ukraine on Fire, was overthrown by a CIA-backed coup in 2014. By the way, George Soros also was uh, backing that coup. And you had not only Victoria Newland but John McCain over there, the usual suspects, right, uh, cheering on the the uh, the, the violent demonstrators. And uh, then Zelensky, he's now banned all opposition parties, save for you know the neo Nazis, and he's um, uh, also taken state control of the media. Yet he's portrayed as this, this champion of democracy. And none of it makes any sense. Um, and you've got the Ukrainian. Um, uh, militias, uh, the, the Azov battalion using citizens as shields, their atrocities, which are documented in both this German documentary and the Oliver Stone documentary, which are from years before the, the Russian intervention, which are linked to at the, at the end of my article. Um, uh, none of that was, was covered at the, in the West, but it's interesting. Somebody posted this on Twitter, so I just reproduced it and it's called, this is how the West was covering Ukraine before the war. The Guardian said, um, welcome to Ukraine, the most corrupt nation in Europe. Um, the IMF ranks Ukraine as Europe's poorest country. Uh, New Europe said Ukrainian's president's rule becomes increasingly corrupt and authoritarian. Um, and then there's one on journalism. It says Ukraine's deadly profession. Three journalists attacked in July. So it, And it just goes on and on. I mean, there was no favorable coverage of Ukraine by the Western media until all of a sudden we had this attack by Russia and suddenly this shift in focus, this magic shift in focus from COVID to uh, Ukraine. We just see, uh, it's horrible to see, um, it, it's just so disheartening to see that the media will do exactly as they're told. Uh, they will not voice any dissent. They will not do any real journalism. They will not do any real investigation. They don't care about the facts. They don't want to quote Putin. They just want it to be a comic book character. You know, he's Hitler, he's Stalin. And I mean, literally, uh, The Economist, which is half owned by the Rothschilds, had a picture of Putin, his face blacked out and covered with a tank. It says, where will he stop next? In other words, he's going to be like Hitler. He's going to invade this country. He's going to, then he's going to invade that country. His lust for conquest will know no limits. And then uh, America Online, uh, comparing him to Stalin, I've got a screenshot of that. Um so, you know, they're not listening to what Putin's saying. He's just uh, being portrayed as a villain. 
and uh, uh, let's see, it's eight thirty. I think we have some time to get into some of the. Yeah, well, you know, speaking speaking of of Ukraine and and the way it's misportrayed, one of the things that is missing from the coverage is in terms of like the the atrocity coverage and so on. It's all right. supposed Russian atrocities, a whole bunch of which are obviously fake. Uh, and, you know, you mentioned earlier the, the Mariupol maternity hospital story echoing the Kuwaiti baby incubators, and, and we've been getting right. all right. kinds of that propaganda. But if you dig a little deeper and pay attention to reports on the ground from Ukraine and environs, what you quickly discover is that it's very likely that the atrocities, deliberate atrocities, are running probably 10 to 1 or more uh, on the Ukraine side. That is, it's Ukraine that's committing virtually all the atrocities, and at least the deliberate ones. Again, people do die in wartime uh, as you know the Ukrainians are holding human shield civilians and the Russians are attacking the Ukrainian forces. Some of those civilians get killed, and it's the Russian munitions that killed them. Uh, however, in terms of these deliberate atrocities where people are intentionally harming civilians or putting them in harm's way, it's almost all the Ukrainians doing it, not just those human shields I mentioned, but also basically all of these so-called Russian collaborators, which is about a third of the population. Uh, a third of the population of Ukraine is Russian-speaking, and they've been demonized. There is this absolute vitriolic hatred uh, among the right wing that was put in power with the, the coup in 2014 and that that just extreme hatred of Russia and all things Russian and the uh, 30 to 40 percent of the population of Ukraine, the Ukrainians themselves, who are Russian speaking, that hatred is driving this huge wave of atrocities where, you, you know, the Ukrainians are uh, are murdering civilians. Uh, the, the You know, they're uh, killing prisoners of war in horrific ways, torturing people. Uh, there's just this extreme hatred on the Ukrainian side that is driving almost all of the atrocities of this war. And that story is not being told in the mainstream at all. Indeed, they're lying and making it sound as though the, Repub- the, the, uh, the, the Russians are doing that. In fact, there is no uh, symmetric hatred on the part of Russians or Russian-speaking Ukrainians for that matter. The Russians see Ukrainians as their little Slav brothers, and the Russian-speaking Ukrainians have no problem. It's There's this psychotic neo-Nazi anti-Russianism that's taken over Ukraine right. and led to cre- it's created a whole nation of vicious war criminals. And these are the people that are being held up in the media as a paragon of sweetness and light and democracy and human rights. It makes me want to vomit. Um, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things I learned just today uh, from reading this article by Jacques Bard, he's, again, he's a Swiss in, intelligence officer. He worked in the Ukraine for many years uh, for NATO. And uh, one of the things he brought out was uh, this uh, supposed hospital bombing. Um, in fact, he, he pointed, according to his information, all the civilians were gone from that hospital. It was occupied by the Azov Battalion, and that's why the Russians attacked it. There were no civilians there, despite the uh, Western propaganda that, you know, the Russians had bombed a hospital, which, you know, how many times has the United States bombed a hospital and nobody uh, in the Middle East and no, nobody cared. Um, but it, it's it's very clearly just agenda driven. There is no interest in finding the truth in the mainstream, despite um, the abundance of so-called fact checkers. The problem with these fact checkers are they're not actually going out to determine the truth. They've already basically, um, I don't want to overgeneralize, but basically they've written their story before they go out. They're, they're told, you know, go kill this story that criticizes Bill Gates, so they go out and they kill it. And, of course, you can always find a doctor 
who's on, you know, connected to the Gates Foundation will defend Bill Gates. It's very easy, you know, uh, to, to formulate an argument. Just like you, in, if you're in a courtroom, uh, we we're talking about courtrooms earlier, or I was anyway, uh, if you hear the defense side, it'll sound very credible, but if you hear the prosecutor's side, that'll sound pretty credible too. And you, as a jury member, you have to decide where the truth really lies in these two arguments, because you can make a plausible argument, uh, always make a plausible argument in favor of a lie. It, it, it's unfortunate, but it's true, um, unless it's absolutely absurd. So that's what we're facing right now. That's right. Um, so uh, your your article is a really good takedown of the mainstream stuff. But, you know, a lot of the problem is also on social media, which is now being manipulated and there's a, there's a big controversy now as Elon Musk is trying to take over Twitter or buy out right. Twitter and presumably return it to being a, a free speech platform, which suddenly <laughs> nobody, the whole establishment is is horrified by the thought of Twitter uh, returning to a kind of a constitutional perspective. Uh, so do you talk a little bit about about the role of social media and the war propaganda there? Well, um, you know, uh, I, you know, I'm. I'm Glad about Elon Musk's, uh, uh, the idea of him taking over Twitter, but I'm also concerned because, you know, he's putting up these 5G satellites and, uh, he's into, you know, the electric cars. And, um, he's also, he also told, uh, NBC News that in the future all human brains will be connected to the, to the internet. And, uh, he seems to be on board with transhumanism. Uh, he seems to be part of the new world order. And yet, He's making these attractive pronouncements about free speech and he even got a book uh, that criticized the lockdowns, uh, reinstituted about, uh, onto Amazon. This is a couple of years ago. I wish he'd gotten my book. <laughs> it's a book by a guy named Alex Berenson of the New York Times who was criticizing the lockdowns. But I wish I knew Elon Musk and he'd gotten my book back onto Amazon because it was their, their number one bestseller in the category of respiratory diseases before they censored it after two months. But, um, yeah, I, I, I don't really trust Musk, but, um, so long as he uh, is not 100% following the agenda, um, I'd be happy with him taking over Twitter. But I'm not sure what the end result would be. What do you think, Kevin? Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly wouldn't make it any worse than it is and probably would, would be somewhat better. But, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of Elon Musk either in general. But, hey, uh, at this point, you know, we have to uh, be appreciative of any social media freedom that we can find. But the problem isn't only the censorship, although well, that, that's a huge part of it, but there's also all of the total BS Ukraine war propaganda, the pro-Ukraine nonsense that's been spewed out there through social media and the people conditioned by the big media. And then this is, of course, also driven by algorithms that are specifically designed to promote pro-Ukraine BS. Uh, these things have gotten millions and millions of views, even though they're just utter and complete lies and nonsense. Like you post on your story, the eight-year-old Ukrainian girl confronting the Russian soldier. It's actually a picture of a Palestinian girl confronting an Israeli soldier, but they just changed the caption. And it, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the famous ad to Mimi, who was sent to jail for slapping an Israeli soldier. Uh, he did, I'm sure he did more than a slap. Um, yeah, they got 12 million views on TikTok and, um, uh, one of the things, um, uh, I have a whole section on fake news. One of the things was, uh, they had, had pictures in, um, somebody from Britain put this together, pictures from the Times, the Sun, the Guardian, the Daily Express, the Daily Mail, and the Mirror. And they all had the picture of the same woman. <laughs> There's an old woman with bandages. 
supposedly the, the victim of, uh, the bloody victim of Putin's aggression. And it's like, can't you find more than one woman? <laughs> there must not be a whole lot of yeah, victims yeah, if they can only yeah. find one. Yeah, and uh, CNN posted a picture of, a, of the first American to die in Ukraine. Turns out they'd also used the same picture as the first, you know, as American killed by the if they, Taliban. If they want a war where they have a bunch of victims, they well, they should go to Yemen. There's almost 400,000 civilians yeah. dead they could, and they take, a million more wounded. There are plenty of different pictures you could show of people uh, killed or wounded in Yemen. Yeah, yeah, going back to the courtroom situation, the fact that you show a picture of a dead body does not prove who did it. But that's what the mainstream media is doing. They show a picture of bodies and then they say, well, the Russians did this with no evidence whatsoever. There's no on the ground reporters uh, with eyewitnesses say the Russians did this. Uh, just some, you know, Zelensky and some talking heads in America. And of course, it was also um, uh, Facebook had over 100,000 views of the so-called Russian invaders, actually uh, images from a video game called Arma 3. And uh, I linked to an article in PC Gamer on that. And there was a picture of Miss, the former Miss Ukraine so he's grabbing a rifle and saying she could defend her country. But actually, it's just a toy gun. And then there was a Zelensky supposedly on the front lines in military garb. And actually, it was a picture taken in 2021 when he was, he was just at a military exercise. And it just goes on and on. I'm, I won't go over them all here, but there's so much fake news. But I also wanted to get into the – before. I was, please respond to that. But um, I also wanted to get into what the possible motives of the deep state are here because there are some – some that are more frightening than others. Yeah, well, there's a relationship here because I think the, the deep state that's orchestrated the situation is also very much involved in the propaganda apparatus that has been promoting all of this garbage, uh, all, all of these repurposed photos from Palestine and from Syria and from video <laughs> games, all of this nonsense. They just find some photo and label it Ukraine, and somehow I guess the TikTok users are especially credulous about these things. Um, but, yeah, so the deep state obviously is up to something here. Uh, the speculation, of course, is that they would like to lure Russia into a trap, sort of like the bear trap of Afghanistan that Brzezinski caught Russia in back in 1979, lured Russia in Afghanistan, and they bled and bled and bled throughout the 80s, and some have credited that war with taking down the Soviet Union. And so the thought is that this is an attempt to destroy Russia by luring it into a uh, long quagmire and uh, drain it and sanction everybody against it and so on and so forth. That's one theory. The second theory, uh, which people like Pepe Escobar have put forward, is that it's not just about Russia, that the first uh, victim of this is Europe. And this is about the Zio-American uh, wing of the oligarchs apparently deciding to shore up the U.S. dollar and the U.S. position at the expense of the Europeans because the Europeans were about to get, get all kinds of cheap enemy, uh, energy through the Nord Stream pipeline from Russia. And now they're going to have to buy super expensive liquid gas from the U.S. and they're going to starve and shiver and it's all going to be blamed on Putin and the euro is, 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 uh, basically kaput. And so that's going to prop up the dollar for at least a few more years. So that, those are the two theories that it's about destroying Russia and, uh, keeping Europe down to prop up the petrodollar. Yeah, that, that sounds very, uh, both sound very credible. By the way, uh, you cut out on me a couple times. I didn't get everything you said, but I got—I think I got uh, the bulk of what you said. Uh, you know, a couple of secondary motives they're trying to cover up—the you know the corruption, Hunter Biden, you know, being linked to this uh, gas company in Ukraine called uh, Burisma, uh, which he was getting fifty thousand dollars a a month uh, to be on their board of directors if, if he knew anything about natural gas. And another, of course, is Ukraine does serve as a, as a distraction from. 
the fact that the whole COVID narrative is unraveling, like Pfizer's uh, was being forced by a judge to release. Um, let's see. Are we still on the air? I, can you hear me? Uh, yeah, yeah. You're, you're still oh, okay, broadcasting, good, good. James. Okay. All right. Um, so it's a distraction of what's happening in our own economy, the repression of our freedoms. But there are three major motives that I, I uh, have looked at. One is this could be another step towards the Great Reset. You know, we started, you know, the Great Reset would be a digital ID and a cashless society and social credit system like they have in China. And um, uh, the first blow to our economy was the lockdowns, which put hundreds of thousands of small businesses out of uh, commission. And then no jab, no job, which put, um, once the vaccines were rolled out, put more people out of work, countless people out of work. And then the sanctions on Russia, which are, probably hurting us more than Russia as our prices go up and we lose trade. Uh, but uh, Klaus Schwab is warning about this cyber attack, which it would be very easy to blame on Russia. And he says that would take down our, that could take down our whole financial system. And it's interesting that um, recently um, Klaus Schwab and his colleagues held a uh, uh, financial military game in, in Israel. No surprises in Israel. This is from Robert Kennedy Jr.'s website, The Defender. says, international finance leaders hold war game exercise simulating global financial collapse. Included uh, the heads of banks from the United States and nine other countries, as well as the IMF, Bank of International Settlements, World Bank, and World Economic Forum. So are they getting ready to uh, a final blow against the to collapse the economy? So we'll accept this great reset. Second reason, this again involves Israel is the pipelines. And I didn't know about this until I started investigating Ukraine, is that Israel has this massive oil and gas field in the Mediterranean off its coast. It's got 600 billion cubic, meter, cubic meters of natural gas. What the Israelis want to do is build a pipeline through Syria, through Turkey, through Ukraine, and cut out the Russians, build it you know, all the way to Western Europe. Now, Ukraine's on board, and uh, Turkey's on board, reportedly, for a cut of the tape. But Syria's not, and I think this is one reason why Bashar al-Assad, they say Assad must go. They want a Western puppet in there who would accept this pipeline. And there's also a reason, I believe, why Putin went down to Syria and defended Assad was not just altruism, but I think he also wanted to make sure that a competitive pipeline did not, uh, this competitive pipeline did not go through. The details are in my article. Uh, but the third thing, Kevin, you gave me a, your opinion on this. I, I'm concerned that they may actually some may be some people in the deep state who are actually trying to start a world war, a third world war. Are there you know you know we've seen these absurd provocations? Lindsey Graham saying Putin should be assassinated. Biden saying that we need regime change in Russia. Russian athletes being banned from events. And this is what killed me. Yuri Gagarin being his, having his name removed by the Space Foundation. You know, he's the first man in outer space. He died 54 years ago, but we're going to take his name away because he's a Russian. I mean, well, that's don't like forget the, the Paralympics, James. They, they wouldn't let it, the, uh, the, the crippled Russian athletes compete in the Paralympics. I mean, that, that was pretty low. Yeah, very low. And it's like, um, this is not, Russia's not a country to mess with. They've got hypersonic missiles that can't be detected by radar. Do you really want a world war? Well, is it possible that, I mean, do you think it's possible that there are people in the deep state who think they can go underground, like Dr. Strangelove talked about, that will lead to go underground during a nuclear holocaust, survive it and come out? I kind of think that they wouldn't want a worldwide nuclear war because it would destroy so much infrastructure they've already built, like for 5G 
and the vaccine passports. It would be hard to rebuild that out of the chaos of a full all-out nuclear war. But, you know, there's a movie in 1964, the same year as Dr. Strange called Fail Safe, with a very limited nuclear war. One Russian city was destroyed and one American city was destroyed. And it's just possible that there would be a nuclear exchange, very limited, that would scare the world into this final world government. Uh, I don't know. Do you have any, do you have any thoughts about whether or not they might actually be contemplating a nuclear, this escalate into a nuclear conflict? Well, that's possible. As I understand it, most of the strategists who've run the, the game theory uh, programs and algorithms seem to think that it's highly likely that any, uh, you know, once you start going fast enough up the escalation ladder with nukes, there's really no way off. So, there's it, it, based on that, if that's correct, then they wouldn't be planning on a limited nuclear exchange. I do know, though, that the U.S. official policy is to win a nuclear war by striking first. That's been the official policy forever, and it's become more and more realistic as these much faster and more accurate missiles have been developed. Right now, the U.S. is a couple of years away from hypersonic weapons, but Russia already has those, right. and it's reaching a point that whoever strikes first is perhaps going to have confidence that they will knock out 90% or more of the other side's weapons. And that's the real problem, I think, that a miscalculation based on one side or the other thinking that it can win uh, could set things off and very likely all of humanity would still lose. Um, and sure. So so that's the first mo- most likely possibility is that the NATO side is, as I admit, planning to fight and win a nuclear war against Russia and, if necessary, mm. China. And then secondly... There is always the possibility that there are some crazy Malthusians out there who actually would welcome the population reduction, you know, with COVID Mm -hmm. in the bioweapons sector. uh, It certainly does seem like uh, it wouldn't with with bioweapons more so even with nuclear weapons. It wouldn't really take a whole lot of people to unleash something really, really nasty that could greatly reduce the population. And we have a long list of statements from Rockefeller types and Bill Gates and so on that the population is way too much. We need to reduce it by, you know, 90 percent or so. Uh, so those are the, the possibilities that come to mind. And I think the first one, the likelihood of an intended uh, f- first strike to fight and win a nuclear war is the most likely. Yeah, I, I made a meme for Twitter of uh Bill Gates on the phone with uh, Jacob Rothschild, and Rothschild tells Gates, you know, your, your vaccines just aren't working fast enough to get us to the goal of the Georgia Guidestones. We decided to go nuclear instead of vaccines. Um, but um, I am um, very, very uh, concerned about uh, this this possibility that uh, they might be looking for, at a uh, nuclear thing. There's another thing, by the way, that troubles me a little bit, and I don't know how much accuracy there is to it. But when I was re- researching my 9-11 book, which I'd written 16 rough draft chapters, I still had <laughs> and probably another 16 to go, was at, on 9-11, uh, President Bush was flown not to the White House on 9-11. He was flown to his Offutt uh, Air Force Base in uh, Nebraska, where our nuclear command center was, because it appeared that our nuclear codes had been compromised. And I have to say that, and, I, and this is a speculative statement, I, I don't know it for a fact, but I know that the Israelis are extremely high-tech. I know about their Samson option, which has been, you know, discussed even in, sometimes in the mainstream. Um, 
is it possible that the Israelis might have hacked our nuclear codes and start a nuclear war without our actually being um, having made a, a specific decision to do that? I, I don't know if that's possible, but um, the the uh, the hacking of codes that appeared to be um, have occurred on on 9/11 does make me concerned about that. I Israel is always a central concern of mine. Um, they've done so many bad things to the world and, and, and to America over the years. You go back to USS Liberty and, you know, the Levant affair and, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the uh, King David Hotel bombing and the attack on the USS Liberty and the, uh, the bombing of Libya, which is set off by, uh, you know, according to Viktor Ostrovsky was, was a, was a false flag set off by the Mossad. And there are other examples. We, 9-11 probably being the chief of them. Uh, is it just possible that the Israelis uh, have some ability to start a nuclear war between the United States and Russia, uh, with them sort of emerging as the uh, the global leaders. And so we know that uh, that uh, it was uh, the first um, David Ben Gurion, the first Prime Minister of Israel, said in Look Magazine 1962 that ultimately um, Jerusalem would emerge as the, the leader of the world. I, I don't I don't know if that's true or not. That's speculation. But uh, I have to say that in the, in the back of my mind, knowing the long history of the Israeli and the Zionists, I don't want to rule it out. Yeah, I wouldn't rule anything out. Certainly the Zionists have their hands in this thing. The neocons are probably more loyal to Israel and Zionism than to anything else, uh, especially the U.S., where they work. Mm-hmm. And so that ancient blood enmity between the the Hazar Jewish Pale of Settlement folks and the the Rus tribe that destroyed the Hazar Jewish kingdom and uh, really created the the diaspora. You know, there was no diaspora out of Palestine. It was actually uh, really out of what's now Ukraine. And Mm -hmm. it didn't even go very far out of it. It's just that the uh, kingdom of Hazaria was destroyed uh, by the Russians, the Rus. So so I, I think that might... Uh, be partly why, uh, just like Brzezinski, the Polish nobleman, hated the Russians for obvious historical reasons. Likewise, uh, Vicky Noodleman uh, and her many neocon uh, Jewish allies probably hate Russia for similar reasons. Right. Uh, it's interesting to draw these parallels that go back so deep in, in history, and I think you're quite right about that. Uh, the Kazarian Empire did break out due to the attack by the uh, Rus. And uh, is it possible that, uh, you know, that the, the Rothschilds had a long memory. They attacked the Tsar in 1917 because a century before he'd opposed the, uh, was it the World Congress that was proposed at uh, Vienna and they swore to re- vengeance on Russia. Um, it's just possible that uh, that vengeance uh, towards Russia is still intended uh, to this very day. I don't know. But it's, Especially because Russia fact- is re-Christianizing, as you mentioned. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that these are factors that need to be at least contemplated as possibilities. I don't want to state them as fact because I don't know, but um, they're things that I think need to be uh, remained under consideration. Yeah, questions that need to be asked. Well, the, the mainstream doesn't want us to question anything, doesn't want us to ask any of these questions or, or look at any of these angles or look at all of the um, millions of inconvenient facts about this horrible war in Ukraine, which I, I think we probably agree is more of a war of NATO uh, Anglo-Zionist aggression than it is a war of Russian aggression. Well, thank you, James Perloff. It's been a wonderful conversation as always. I appreciate your excellent work, and I think your article 
uh, is one of the best introductions to the subject of the war on Ukraine. People can find that at jamesperloff.net. That's james, P-E-R-L-O-F-F dot net. And the article is called Ukraine Behind the Wall of Propaganda. Well, thanks again, James. Uh, thank you, Kevin. I'll, I'll, I'll try to uh, check those videos and make sure that they get up and running again, hopefully by tomorrow. Sounds good. All right. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye now. Bye. That's James Perloff. Kevin Barrett here. Back in the next hour with Steve Kirsch. Stick around. We'll be right back after this message.